We are going to open up our mission conference here in just a couple of weeks. In fact, about 10 days, I think it is. And so our vision, as it sets right into what they're going to be doing, is to share the gospel of Jesus wherever we live, work, play, and go. The sun would not set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. Big vision, a very open vision, but a very doable one. Some people do not realize that we came off this vision for a while because we reached it. We had people all over the world, and we had a few strategic locations we had to to be in in order for the sun not to set. Well, those people came home, and so it was not sustainable uh, when we sort of quit doing that uh, intentionally. So we're back doing that intentionally. Now, why is a vision so important? You know, some people in the business world, and especially in the church world, I know so many pastors that just don't have a vision for the church at all, don't have a vision for their community. They pray about things, they preach the word, and they just... Uh, hope God's going to do something. And I'm not saying that is not a good hope. I'm just not sure that's a good strategy to use. Vision gives us direction. It keeps us from going off in all kinds of tangents. And not only as a church, but in your life as well. It gives you passion. It gives you focus. And it gives you tenacity to, to reach through knowing what you need to do in spite of all the obstacles, in in spite of all the temptations, in spite of all the things that are trying to take you off message. And so vision becomes very important. In fact, uh, Proverbs 29 says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. There's no no restraint of focus. There's no restraint of staying in the path where you need to go. And so you're looking at me this morning and say, well, you know, I really don't have a vision for my life per se. Pastor, that's pretty hard to get. I prayed about it. I read about it. You know, there's my business world. There's my personal life. What about the vision? Well, all I know is one of the ways that we have had about 120 people, over 120 people, called into full-time Christian service and then going out and sharing somewhere else, somewhere out in the world even now, is because we've been doing a lot of interning or apprenticeship. And what that is, is, you know, you don't know what to do yourself exactly, so you follow something else. You get involved with someone else doing that ministry or that job out in the secular world, that job, so you can learn to do it. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning. In order for you to really finalize your vision and really get a touch from God on this, it may just take you being an apprentice with us. Now, I'm not saying that our vision is not worthy of just you getting involved in that and that be your vision for your life. But when you participate in something this large and you get involved in something that this big of a vision and you see how God is working, you can see how God can also do those same things in your life. And the very first thing I would say about finding a vision for your own life is simply this. You need to know what questions to ask. That's really the secret to a lot of life. Know the right questions. We find those questions and really the answers to some of those questions right here in Joshua chapter 14. One of the great stories in the Bible, one of the most inspirational stories in the Bible, one of my favorites, because it has also one of my favorite characters, Caleb. If you remember the story, and some of you might, in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, Moses was leading the people out of Egypt, actually before this, They let them out of Egypt, and they were in the wilderness. Now, Joshua, the book of Joshua, is really more than a historical book. It's really a picture of our salvation in the Christian life. They were in Egypt. They were in slavery, just like you and I were enslaved to sin. 
Then we got saved. We crossed that Red Sea, you might say. We got saved, and now we're about to enter the victorious Christian life, a life flowing with milk and honey, the abundant life, the life of peace, hope, and joy, and long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. We're about to enter that, and then something derails us in some way. And what happened here is that Moses sent 12 spies into the land and said, come back with a strategy. We want to know how to conquer the land. And they came back instead with a recommendation. Ten of them said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Just like God said. God wasn't lying about it. It's a great world. But there are giants in the land. And there are fortified cities. And we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We would never be able to conquer this. We'd never be able to overcome. But two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua, said, no, we are well able to do it. Listen, brethren, don't get, don't get fearful about this thing. God can overcome all of this. But the people listened to the 10 spies, and because of their disobedience at Kadesh Barnea, all of the Israelites lived, but they lived and died in the wilderness over a 40-year period. Only Joshua and Caleb, who, those who made that decision, only Joshua and Caleb were left. Now they've been fighting the battle, They've been across the Jordan River into that promised land. They've been fighting the battle for some time. And now it came to a time of dispersion of the land. And chapter 14 through 19 is exactly that. Different tribes of Israel getting different spots of the land. And it begins with the story of Caleb. Listen to these verses. Verse 6. And the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Listen to their fears. Yet I wholly, notice that, I wholly follow the Lord my God. And, the, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden. You've gone to the promised land. You've seen it. Your foot has trodden on it. You've walked on it. He said, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Then all the way down in verse 13, Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Caleb had a vision in his life. God had given him a special vision in his life. And after 45 years of obstacles and problems and delays, it wasn't a denial. And he was going in determined to conquer that land. Now, we find through this five basic, four or five basic questions. One is, as you're looking at a vision for your life, why do you want it? You don't even begin with what you, what you need to do and what your talents are. You need to begin with why you want a vision in the first place. Why do you want God to speak to your heart in some way that you are going to make a difference in life? You know, so often I hear pastors saying that, well, God, uh, you know, wanted me to do this great ministry and this great ministry and this over here, maybe some television and all these kind of things. And it all kind of centers in and comes back to them. And sometimes our visions 
privately or just that. I want to write maybe a great book. I want to star in a movie. I want to be a great singer. Oh, God, if you'll just make me a great musician. And everything kind of comes. I believe God wants me to, to uh, run for public office and be the next president. of the. You know, really, it centers around us. It's not a Christ-centered vision, uh, but a self-centered vision. If you want God's vision, you've got to get God's mind. I'm not saying that the secular world always goes to God on their knees and prays and saying, oh, oh what's, the biz- what's my vision for my business? Because they just don't. In fact, you can have a vision, and you can have a vision that really works sometimes in the secular world. You leave God out of the equation altogether. However, if you want what God wants for your life, if you want to be able to claim the word of God, the promises of God, you have to have God's vision, and it begins with these words, I wholly follow the Lord my God. Three different times, you notice in this passage, I didn't read them all, but three different times in this, in this passage, he starts out, I wholly follow the Lord in verse 8. In verse 9, it says, I wholly follow the Lord my God. And then finally in verse 14, therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. There was two things about Caleb's life. Number one, God was first. It was a, he, was, he, he devoted himself to God with a whole heart. You know, one of the most um, really heartbreaking verses in the entire Bible is in Chronicles where it says, Amaziah served God with a half a heart, half-heartedly, not with his whole being. But here was a man that says, I'm putting God first. This is what God wants, and I want to be able to fulfill what God wants. But also he loved his people. He was responsible. That was where he was coming from. He was responsible, and now he wanted to claim this inheritance as he would say, give me this hill country or give me this mountain for my inheritance. He was claiming it for his people. And so we look at this and we ask, we ask ourselves, is Jesus Christ really our Lord? Before we ask the question about a vision, who comes first? Who will this vision really glorify, me may benefit me, but who is it going to really glorify? Does it glorify God? And so we ask ourselves the question, why? Is it for God, for others, or for ourselves, or have something to do, or fulfill our own life to make us feel worthy, to make us feel like we've really gone through the gamut, and hey, man, we really accomplished something for God? It has to come from the Lord, and in order for it to come from the Lord, you have to have God first in your life. Of course, a church, their vision's going to center around, it should center around, the Great Commission. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, to get us back into to the original design for ourselves to be in a relationship with God. We find evangelism all throughout the scripture. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We find in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then will the end come. Even about the second coming, we find centered in there evangelism. We find people reaching out to other people in order to receive the Lord. So our vision of reaching the world, doing our part. We can't do it all, <clears throat> so what do we do? Brings me in a second question, and that is this. What are you called to do? He says in verse, um, as I read on in verse 10, he says, Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, 
just as he said, these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. Well, Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Man, it's been a long time. But I want you to notice, he kept his direction. And you can read in this his, his passion. But now we see his tenacity. He says, I'm still as strong today as I was the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So give me this hill country. I love what the King James Version says. Now give me this mountain, this mountain to climb, this mountain to, to conquer. Give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke on that day. And the son of Anakim are there, then they're there. But what has God called you to do? It's been said the purpose Purpose is the peg of which all of life hangs. And so what are your gifts? What are your talents? Who are you? I'm not saying who you want to be. I understand that. But who are you? How, how does God really make you? Because just like as a church, we can't do it all. We, we can never reach the world ourselves for Jesus Christ. That's the reason we partner with the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, and many other ministries as well. Why? We can't do it all, but God has called us to some niche in this whole thing, to some, have some part. And one of the great questions that we can ask one another, we have a conversation maybe and we say to one another, or I ask you and I've asked many of you this before, how can I help? And some people have said to me, well, you can do this, this, and this. And I said, well, I can do this and this, but I can't do this. You know, I'm not in position to do this other. I can only do so many things, but I can do this for you. And so what are we talking about when we're talking about a calling to a vision? And asking ourselves, what are we really called to do? We see this, this vision that God has. We see that God wants to reach the world. Then, then the end will come. We understand what the church is all about and how that fits in. And you say, well, God, here's my, here's my talent, and, and here's my, here are my spiritual gifts. God, where do I fit in? Uh, how can I help? God, what can I do for you? Now, I know you say, well, you really can't do anything for God, but you understand the context of what I'm saying. God, what can I do? What can I do to fit in to doing, to accomplish what I can do for the kingdom of God? So we ask ourselves the question, who are you doing it for? We ask ourselves the question, what are you called to do? And let me just give you a, a four, four quick things. You can take notes on this, just kind of parenthesis in the whole thing on uh, how you can find it. Well, first of all, you look up, you pray. Secondly, you look around you. What, what are the needs around you? One of the things that I catch from this uh, passage, there was a real need. There were Anakim in the land. There were the giants, the Anakim, and there were fortified cities, and they needed a leader. And Caleb was the leader of his, of his tribe, his clan, and he was to lead them in. And so we find from all this that he was looking around him. What are the needs? You know, somebody says, well, I'm going to write a book. I, I remember I've written a couple of books, but I remember several years ago having an opportunity to write a leadership book. And I got into it and I thought, what good is this going to do? Man, there is a plethora of leadership books out there by now, by the time I started writing it. Oh, my goodness. I can add maybe a little something to it, but there's, there's no need there. So what is the need. One of the things you can test yourself on, whether it's for you or, or for God, is, well, there's a need here. I'm not particularly fired up about that need, but I can get fired up about it, and I can help that, versus, well, there's really no need here, but this is my dream. Well, it can be your dream, 
And maybe you can accomplish it, but it's not necessarily going to be in the will of God. So we look around us, then we look within, our imagination. Think outside the box on what God can do in your life, and then you look ahead. You always look ahead and then work your way back. Since this is the vision, this is what I need to do to accomplish the vision. And you say, well, uh, pastor, I mean, you've been at this for here at the church for 28 years, and you reached the goal, the vision at one time, but now you're trying to reach it again. What's stopping you? Well, that's the third question. What's stopping you? What's stopping our church? What's stopping Christendom from reaching the end of the world and then the end be coming? So the third question is, what's stopping you? Look in verse 12. It says the, how the Anakim were there in fortified cities. If you were to look back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, that's exactly the complaint that the 10 spies were saying. There are obstacles in the land. Yes, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said, but there are obstacles in the land, and they're called giants. You remember the story of David and Goliath? Goliath was a leftover of the Anakim, the giants in the land. He was an Anakim. If you study the scriptures uh, through certain verses, you can find that out. There were fortified cities. Why were they important? Well, there were no helicopters back then. There were no planes. There were no bombs that you could throw over a fortified wall. And so the walls of the city were the defense of the city. And so when the walls went up, you had, you had to climb the walls to get over. The Israelites were not equipped to do that. And the ten spies were saying there are too many obstacles in the land. We cannot accomplish what God wanted us to do. But then in verse 30 of chapter 13 of Numbers, Caleb stilled the people and said, we are well able to overcome this. God has already given us the deed to the land. He has already promised us this, and we are well able to overcome. There's always, dear friends, obstacles in the vision. One of the biggest mistakes we make about our prayer life and our vision and our God's will for our life, we think if we find God's will for our life, everything is smooth sailing. Everything been smooth sailing for you? No, I, yeah, I know better than that, Sure. Not smooth sailing for me. Not smooth sailing for you. Why? Because there are always tests, and those tests are to build character in our life. Those trials are to, that adversity is to build something in our life that's not there in our life. And so there's always obstacles. So what do you do? Well, you need a mission. And the mission is the solution to the problems that you're facing so you can reach the vision. It's like uh, you're coming up I-95, like we were just a couple of weeks ago when we were taking some time off, and we ran across um, a traffic jam. They were working on the roads, and we must have waited there for well over an hour, just stay, almost sitting still. Well, maybe you're one of those guys that have a GPS, and you put in there a better route. You know, I want a better route. So you get off at one exit, and, and you make your way around, and you don't get there as fast as you would have if 95 would have been smooth sailing. But you get there a lot faster than those who were parked on I-95. You got around the obstacles. And that's what a mission is. It's getting through, working your way through, navigating all the obstacles, all the problems that we have in life in order for us to reach the vision. The solution to your problem is the mission, the everyday mission that God gives to you. Now, what are our obstacles in life? What are obstacles as a church? Well, you look at the United States as a whole, and we find that only 6% of our high school students stay in church after graduating from high school. That's horrible. We have the nuns now. It's not just the young people. It's the older people 
the people, I'd say older, over 50 at least, that are the nuns. They've gone to church all their life. Their children have grown up. Now they're no longer, the children no longer go to the same church at least they go to, if not, if, if at all. And they got in church in the first place because their children needed to go to church. Well, the children are gone. There's no need to, to stick with it. Oh, I still believe, they say. I, I still believe in God. I still believe in Christ, but I, I just don't want to go to church. And they'll find all kinds of faults and the reasons they don't want to go. And the whole problem to start with is they never, all the times they came to church, they just never had that kind of encounter with God that they needed. Well, we have the nuns. We have the growth of atheism that's grown from 6% to 16% in the last 10 or 12 years. In short, we lack discipleship. We've lacked the spiritual growth and the encounters with God amidst, listen, not just us, amidst the onslaught of stuff we get from the world, the world's, the world's view coming upon us, our young people believing that, and our, even our older people believing in that, our parents believing in that rather than the Word of God. The Word of God becomes something of a book, archaic book that, hey, every once in a while, I do agree with the Bible, and so therefore when I agree with the Bible, that's a good thing. But if I don't agree with the Bible, it's not my final authority anymore. Because of the opposition of the world, all the junk that, is, that has come in, and what are the results of that? Well, first of all, church dropouts, for sure. A lack of loyalty to a church, lack of loyalty to Christ, a lack of loyalty to our country and our nations in many ways. A lack of wisdom. James 3 says that the wisdom of the world is from your own mind, and it's also from the minds of others that you gather in information, and it's demonic. That's what it says, James chapter 3. It's not the wisdom of God, which is peaceable, favorable, reasonable, not lacking in reason, willing to reason. And so we're lacking that. And then a moral compass in our society, up is down and down is up. And then finally, just not enough people being, not as many people being saved. Why? Well, we have all this other opposition. I was reading not too long ago in a and a little story that I agreed with, and I've said it in different ways before, but this article said that in, today, in, our, in our world today, that people are coming at Christ in a different place in life. It used to be, back when I first became pastor here, I felt like most of the people here, not everybody, but certainly the people more in Georgia, were sitting on like a seven, eight, nine as far as salvation is concerned. If it's a 1 to 10 scale with 1 not knowing anything about the Bible and 10 knowing uh, almost everything, I mean, everything they need to know to get saved, they just need somebody to, to, to present it to them. Everybody was sort of sitting on a 7, 8, 9, and we're treating everybody as though they're still sitting on the 7, 8, 9. We present our testimony, maybe a little plan of salvation perhaps, uh, but we're taking it from a, a point of view that they understand the stories of the Bible, they understand about Jesus, and really, according to this art, these articles that I'm reading, they're sitting on about a two or three. And what they're saying is we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and take them through the story of the Bible rather than just, just end up at the cross and start at the, rather start at the cross. And I can see that. There's a biblical, um, I don't want to say ignorance, but ignorance is not in a bad thing. It's just they don't know. They don't know the scriptures. And so we look and say, well, how do we do it then? What are we supposed to do? Well, it's a mission. You got, that's your mission if you choose to accept it. 
this sermon will self-destruct in five seconds. But anyway, couldn't resist. We, uh, you have a mission, and our mission statement, our mission statement for our church is that we're building lives that matter. You see, it's not enough that we just simply say, well, we're just going to reach everybody, present the plan of salvation, get them all to pray a prayer, come forward, get baptized, and that's it. Because you and I cannot effectively share our faith unless that faith belongs to us. We cannot effectively do that in a society and make a difference in a society when people look at us and say, well, there's no difference in your life than there is in my life. So we have to disciple people. We have to bring them up in the Lord. And that's what our mission statement is about. Building lives that matter, that we teach people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. And we're even breaking that down. In preschool, they can't learn a lot about following Jesus, but they can learn about loving Jesus. And so that's what we concentrate on. Knowing Jesus, that comes in children, because children's ministry, because most of our people, when they are raised in church, come to know the Lord as a child, elementary school student. And then our youth, a lot of changes going through. Matter of fact, our, our youth went on a mission trip recently, about a dozen of them, and just came back last night about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. And so, you know, if they're sleeping over there, you'll, you'll understand that. But uh, I don't understand why you're sleeping, but I do understand why they're sleeping. You know? But all kinds of changes going on in their body, their mind, what they're getting from like germs off the street, all the values, and everything that challenges them today. We're teaching them to trust Jesus because they need to understand that it's more important, as a matter of fact, more beneficial to them to trust Jesus and go his way than go our own way. And then finally, our adults to follow Jesus. It's really all of them, but to follow Jesus, what it, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so, the credibility of it all. You know, it's, it's hard to say, okay, this is a vision of the church, but wow, you haven't accomplished anything in the past. And so the credibility of a vision is often you have to look to the past, the recent past, the long past. I mentioned that we have 120 or so in the mission field or in the ministry somewhere in the United States or abroad. Uh, over 5,000 baptisms in the last 25 years. We have eight churches that we've started, uh, most of those in the last few years. So there's some background there. But there's also kind of a plan, some which we have instigated under the Lord's direction. And sometimes God just surprises us, like COVID. For example, in 2019, we changed our name in order to be more inclusive so people can feel like they can come here without being a certain denomination. We had unity of worship in 2017. We brought a guy on uh, because the opportunity was there. We brought a guy on, Tim Johnson, to do both services. Both ser They're different, but yet there's some sameness in it. There's the same worshipful spirit in it. And then uh, also, we involved ourselves more in community. Now, it, prior to 2017, we were doing a lot of community stuff, but nobody knew about it. And it was all small. We would do things like, like other small churches were doing. We wouldn't publicize it. We wouldn't, you know, some people say brag about it, but we wouldn't publicize that. But I got to thinking, God, we're a big church. What, what can we do? Again, what can I do for you? What can we do that maybe some smaller churches are not equipped to do? And so we got uh, uh, involved in big pro projects like Secure Oviedo Schools where we had a golf tournament and other things. We raised money throughout the city in order to put cameras in both of the high schools because back then, in 2017, so many shootings were going on. And so securing Oviedo Schools. The Boys and Girls Club opened up here. Our last Christmas offering went uh, $18,000 to help them. The year before that, we paid off the uh, 
medical debt that was um, out, not outstanding but delinquent for every single person in Oviedo during that year. And we're giving a Bible to every city councilman. We're a nice, nice Bible. Every time they get a, someone new gets elected, we try to get so many other things that are going on because we want to be a part of the community. We added to children's ministry in 2018 by renovation of the children's space and bringing back upward sports, so upward basketball, upward soccer, to help young families. We called, called a young adult minister in 2019 because we wanted to concentrate on that, gener- that generation. We enhanced our online TV services and, and uh, our presence and online presence as well because of COVID. That was something wasn't planned, but something we had to do. Wednesday nights in uh, Cross Life, we started Cross Life University just before COVID hit, where we could teach you theology and teach also the surveys of the Old and New Testament and teach you how to counsel others and how to be a good parent and, and marriage as well, marriage uh, classes as well. And so we have four different pillars that we're teaching in order to equip you and build lives that matter. But of course, as we come up to this year, we're going to call a college pastor as Tim, is, uh, Tim Dix has moved up and uh, is now the associate pastor, uh, one of the associate pastors of the church. And so we're looking to call a full-time college pastor. And then we've already have two young men, Hunter and Nick, to assist our full-time youth ministries for one year. They're on contract for one year. And one's going to help the middle school, one's going to help the high school. And we are going to concentrate, going to concentrate the next 12 months on our youth ministry behind the scenes to build that up to be something that really makes a difference. But you see, all this costs you something. It costs intentionality. There's a price to pay. Caleb was willing to pay that price. In verse 12, it says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. What is is he saying here? It's like the song um, by uh, Mercy Me, even if. God, even if you don't do this, I'm going to follow you anyway. And that's what he was saying. If I don't live through this, I'm I'm willing to fight for this, but if I don't live through it, I'm going to follow you anyway. There was a price that he was paying, and you always pay a price. You say, no, I don't really want to pay the price. I'm going to be kind of lazy in this, or I'm preoccupied. I've got all kinds of, no, you're going to pay the price. No, I'm not, Pastor. You can't make me pay the price. I'm not going to, no, you're going to pay the price. But you don't understand. I'm just not going to get involved. I said, I know that, but you're going to pay a price. You always pay a price. You don't have to pay the price to raise your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, for example, but you're going to pay the price later for not doing it. You don't have to be intentional in your marriage relationship, but you're going to pay the price later for not doing that. We can, we can as church, just like a lot of other churches, some are, are, are intentional about things and accomplishing their vision, some are not. But how many more young people are not going to really follow the Lord because of a lack of example or a lack of effort, a lack of intentionality, not really seeing the vision, what is it going to cost us if we don't do it? It's always going to cost you more when you don't obey the Lord. You pay, you pay it later, just like interest on a loan. You pay it later, but you always pay more. So I'm wondering here this morning, with this bunch of great people that we have here, with all the talent that we have in this room, What could we accomplish if we really wholly followed the Lord our God? What could you do? What could you really do?
And the question you need to ask is, what is the need and how can I help? Just how can I pitch in? What can I do? Pray with all your heart. Get involved in some way. Be intentional in that way. Be faithful as you come and minister to others as they minister to you. I recall a story in um, early pilgrim days. 300, uh, about 350 years ago, the pilgrims came over. And as they uh, were there at Plymouth Rock, they decided to build a road, a road. And they built it about five miles. They had a road through the, the woods for expansion. That was in year three. In year four, they fired all the city council, at least tried to fire them all, because of the money and the time they were wasting building a road to nowhere. What happened? They lost their vision. They lost it. What happened to the Israelites? Did you know they never conquered the land? They stopped. They divided out the land, and they stopped. And the Canaanites stayed in the land. The, the idol worshipers were in the land, and they influenced and married within the Jewish race. And they have always, they always look at the book of Judges. Seven times the nation of Israel fell to idolatry. And God had to rescue them through repentance seven different times. They never finished. Dear friends, COVID's not going to stop us. The recession didn't stop us. COVID's not going to stop us. And I'm asking you today, amen. Listen to this verse. No weapon, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the, servant of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. No weapon, no weapon is going to succeed for those who wholly follow the Lord. You know, God had a vision in all this. God did. He had a vision. He had a vision for you. And that vision was designed for you to fellowship with God. Oh, but there were obstacles involved because we've, we're sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. From Adam on, we inherited that sinful nature. And somebody has to deal with that sin, that crime that we, we commit against God. But God had a mission. He had a vision, so he got through the obstacles by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. That was the mission where all we have to do is reach out and receive the free gift of eternal life in order to have that fellowship with him again. Some of you here have never experienced that. You've seen the baptisms this morning. Many of those were baptized today. Eight or nine people baptized today. Many of them were, were saved last week right here in the service. So what about you? Would you be willing to trust Christ? Would you be willing to be that, that mission for Christ as he sought you out and still seeking you out even today and drawing you with his, his spirit. Would you be willing to respond to that today? And then for those of you who are already believers, we want to build in you a life that matters, but you have to cooperate with that. You have to be intentional with that as well. And we're calling you today to say, okay, yeah, there is a need. Oh my goodness. Look all around in America. We're, we're just a microcosm of that. There are needs all around. God, what, what can I do? What can I do to help? But first, for those who've never received Christ, 
Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Whether you're here on television or internet, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord God, I know that I, I have a need. I'm a sinner. And I've sinned against you and against, against the Lord Christ. And I pray that you would forgive me my sins. And based on what Jesus did for me on the cross, I ask you to save me. Come into my life. Make me the person that you want me to be. And Lord, what can I do? What can I do to help you? In Jesus' name. And then, God, I pray for every other person here. Lord, we're going to have an altar call in just a moment. And maybe there's some people here that, oh, they're, they're crying out to you, Lord, because of needs in their life. It's hard to trust you. It's hard to follow you because of, of our eyes being focused on those things. It's so easy just to, to focus on the obstacles. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them the mission, the answer in their own life in order to accomplish what you want to accomplish in their life and heart. And then, Lord, I pray for those who want to pray for our church and want to become a, a part of the answer, the answer that Jesus Christ has given us. And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.